Hello, welcome to Where Work Meets Life. I'm Dr. Laura, and I'm thrilled to be bringing an episode today about the cure for the common company, a chief medical director's prescription for a healthier workforce. I had the pleasure of meeting Dr. Richard Safir while we were on a panel together about understanding the principles of wellness and well-being for the Hacking HR Forward 2023 conference recently. I was struck by a medical doctor and expert uh, in the health system writing a book about organizations and workplaces, so I was immediately drawn to learn more. So his book uh, provides leaders and their organizations with a roadmap to creating a healthier, happier workplace, and it's called A Cure for the Common Company, a well-being prescription for a healthier, happier, and more resilient workforce, and this launches in the last part of January, and we'll call him Rich. Um, the good doctor is the chief medical director of employee health and well-being at John Hopkins Medicine. He's also a speaker and an author. Welcome to the podcast, Rich. Oh, thank you so much, Dr. Laura. It was uh, great meeting you on that panel that you previously mentioned, and I'm thrilled to be with you today. Well, it's my pleasure. So tell us a little bit about yourself, where you are right now at the moment, and yeah, what, what you, a day in your life is like. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, so we live in Maryland, and that's where Johns Hopkins is headquartered, but we have facilities across the state in the District of Columbia, Northern Virginia, and Florida. Uh, I don't get to go to our Florida hospital as much as I'd like to. Um, so a day in the life is, um, every day is a little bit different. Uh, yesterday, I visited the executive team for our community physicians practice and gave them one of our golden apples because that part of Hopkins had the highest percentage of employees who participated in our Race the Globe Steps Challenge. So every day is a little bit different. Nice. So obviously you went into medicine earlier in your career and you've really had an, an interesting path of doing all kinds of different things, haven't you? Yeah, it's not been a straight line, that's for sure. I studied nutrition before going to medical school and thought I'd be a family physician for my entire career. I only made it two years though. I started to realize that there was an opportunity to impact a greater number of people. Now, don't get me wrong. I love my primary care doctor, and I really appreciate all of the primary care doctors who are helping their patients. Uh, for me, what fit my personality to, was to work on systems and organizations to help influence the health of an entire population. And through some twists and turns, I found myself and now have been at Johns Hopkins Medicine for the last 11 years. Okay, wow. And I'm guessing that speaking as well as being an author and writing this, this book is a way to reach more people for you. Absolutely. I, you know, I'm closer to the end of my career and uh, I've been keeping a journal about our work at Hopkins. And about three years ago, I started to write the book in part because I've seen what uh, employers and companies are doing and some of what employers are doing works, but a lot of what companies are doing is not as effective as they thought it would be. 
And I think there's a better way that we can use our time, energy, and resources. So I put uh, thoughts to paper and created a uh, book that includes a framework for how to do this. It includes some stories, not just about Hopkins, but also about other companies and how they've been successful in creating a well-being culture in their workplace. That's that's wonderful. And as an organizational psychologist, I, I couldn't agree more. There's lots of fads or flavor of the month or uh, approaches that really don't have the impact or the evidence base um, to change human behavior around health and well-being. Oh, yeah. Um, Laura, this is why I was so excited that you invited me to be a guest on your podcast is because of your background as an organizational psychologist. I mean, most uh, people who do the work that our team does don't have the luxury of having an organizational psychologist on the team. Uh, and so we work with our organizational learning and development team. We also work with a number of other teams. And I've had to learn about organizational psychology. But I am not an organizational psychologist. And I wish I would have met you a decade ago because you probably could have accelerated our, our work. And I strongly recommend that everybody find an organizational psychologist friend uh, as they go about uh, supporting the health and well-being of their workforce. Uh, thank you so much. And sometimes when I say what I do, people say, oh, you help organize things? Uh, no, <laughs> you should look inside my purse and then you'll know that's not. No, but um, yeah, it's, I think it's an, a hugely important skill set as is medicine. And I'm really curious about more about the book because the title of it is so mm -hmm. clever. Tell us more about how that title came to be. Yeah, I, I love the title also, A Cure for the Common Company. I love the, the C's connecting. Well, uh, during the height of the pandemic, everybody had their Zoom calls and a lot of people had Zoom calls with their family members, including us. So for many months, I would get together with my siblings and my cousins. And one time I said, hey, I'd like to have a brainstorming exercise. We need to come up with the name of my book. And this is the, the choice that we came out with. And I, I'm thrilled about it because uh, not only does it sound cool, but it, it really reflects the reader's opportunity to find a better way to help support the health and well-being of their team or their entire organization, depending on where they, they are in the organizational chart. Absolutely. So who is this book for? I mean, obviously, you're from the medical and, and healthcare yeah. community, but who is it for? Well, it's, it's not for practicing doctors. I, I am a physician, but I I have to say, in my role at Hopkins, it helps that I'm a physician because there's uh, 4,500 faculty members out of the 42,000 uh, uh, people in our community. So it helps to be able to have that um, common dialogue. And yet, uh, if this is not for the practicing doctor. This is for leaders at all levels. It's for human resource professionals. And anyone who works in the field that supports employee health and well-being, such as those in health promotion or occupational medicine. Okay, so a wide uh, viewership or readership, I should say, and it's coming out in the last part of January. How can um, people get a copy of this? And by the time this episode releases, the good news yep. is it will be available. So how can we get our hands on it? 
Sure. Well, it's available pretty much wherever uh, books are sold. I I keep getting these different messages from colleagues and and friends and people I don't haven't even met before who say they've bought it at these different outlets. So, go to your favorite bookstore outlet. Uh, and if if you don't have a favorite, it's definitely available on Amazon. Uh, if you want to go to my website, richardsafir.com, uh, there's links to all the different um, uh, sites that are selling the book. So what was the most difficult part of writing a book? Wow. Uh, choosing one most difficult part. Uh, you know, it's been a journey and it's been a, a growth journey. And I really appreciate having been able to do this because uh, I've learned a lot about myself along the way. And it's actually helped me think through the work that we're providing to Hopkins. To be honest, it wasn't the writing, Laura, that was most difficult. The, the most difficult part for me was converting to being someone who had to promote the book, right? Because I'm trained as a healer, and my job is to help people. And now uh, I've been asked to promote and market the book, and that's not um, who I am as an inherent person. Believe me, I want people to read the book, but having to get out there and say, hey, read the book is not <laughs> – something that comes naturally to me. Right. But I would, I would suggest that the more people that, that read it, the thousands and tens of thousands are going to be helped and healed yeah, I mean, by better right. workplaces. Yeah. I mean, this is, this is another reason why I wrote the book. Listen, in order for us to support the, the millions of people in the workforce, we need more leaders, more human resource professionals to be part of the well-being team. Okay, a few people or one person in your organization can't do this alone. We need a lot of people rowing in the same direction. So with that, so you, you talk about a cure for the common company. So something needs to be cured um, in yeah. terms of the well-being, the wellness of the human beings within. So what is that? What are the trends that you've been seeing that are problematic? Sure. Well, you know, I, I think that workplaces that are offering strategies and programs have the best intent. And we all know companies that offer webinars or challenges, and these are all well-meaning. And I think we have to take a step back, though, and respect the power of the social sciences and the, um, the levers that influence the choices that we make and the emotions that we carry through the day. And so there are six building blocks as part of this prescription for a healthier and happier workforce. Uh, the six building blocks are peer support, leadership engagement, norms and healthy norms, uh, social climate, which is the way we feel about working on our team and in our workplace, shared values, the values that are shared both between the employer and the employees. And then the last one are these culture connection points, the nudges that our employer offers that make it easier to make healthy choices or, or, be, to emo or to be emotionally well through the workday. And so there's not just one cure, uh, Laura, there's, there's multiple cures. Uh, and, and when more or most or all of these building blocks are used, we stand a much better chance of being successful, of having a healthy and well-work day. 
Wonderful. And I love that it's multi-pronged in, in the approach that you're taking. And it's not probably not a one-size-fits-all, right? It's a combination. It's, it's, right. That's right. So each person is on their own well-being journey. And each team in the workplace has their own dynamics. And every company is different from another company. This book provides a framework and it also is practical because at the end of explaining why a particular building block is important and how it works, I provide a call-out box for the reader to implement practical strategies on their team, uh, in their department, or across their organization, depending on where they sit inside their company. So can you give us a couple of examples of practical strategies that you'd give the person at the end of this? Sure. So peer support is one of the six building blocks. Our behaviors are strongly influenced by our coworkers. And so if we're trying to eat healthier, uh, if a coworker asks us to go have salad for lunch, that's going to be a help. If a coworker brings in a, a plate of donuts and puts them down on the team meeting table, that's not a help. And so peer support's really important. So practical strategies uh, from a leadership point of view is to create uh, programs or resources that are peer-based. So why not have people sign up for activities together instead of separate? So I mentioned, uh, I think I mentioned that I, I brought a golden apple to our Johns Hopkins community physicians. And when we do our steps challenge, we have people sign up in teams of eight. And that's so they can support and inspire and encourage each other to keep stepping. It's not an individual sport. So one practical strategy is to do well-being activities together. Another practical strategy is for team leaders to encourage people on the team to work together without a program involved. You don't have to have a program to have well-being. Uh, a third example is for a leader to positively reinforce behavior that they see on the team. If they see someone on their team who is purposefully helping somebody else on their team with their well-being, call it out. Leaders are always saying, good job, you did a great job on that project. Why not celebrate when you see two people on a team working together to support their health and well-being? So that positive reinforcement. Yes, absolutely. That's great. So as you were on your journey and looking at what different organizations were doing and, and what works, what examples are, are concerning? So if an organization is, is not healthy um, from a human being perspective, what is it that's going on that they need to be really alerted to as having harmful effects? So, you know, one of the most common um, challenges I see where, uh, workplaces have is that the employer takes this individual approach. Here are the resources, go ahead and use them and get better, as opposed to recognizing that we're all in this together, that our well-being is a team sport and that we rely on each other to improve and maintain our health and well-being. And so, I think we need to get out of this mentality that 
this is your problem. And as an employer, we're going to put some benefits in place and you should be able to, to fix it because it's just, it's not, it's not realistic and it's, it's not uh, effective. So that would be one big theme that I would implore leaders to recognize and take a much more comprehensive uh, and broad approach. I love that. The well-being is a team sport. Yeah. That, Registered trademark. <laughs> no, that's that's really great. Yeah. Really, really well put. So thank you for that. Sure. So obviously, it's been a challenging time in the world, uh, the pandemic, lots of polarization um, of perspectives yeah. and, and the war that's going on um, in Europe. So people are under a lot of uh, uncertainty you know, stress. Uh, what's your top recommendation for how people can not let these challenges get in the way of their health and well-being? Well, I, I do think that everyone needs to have their own well-being practice and that self-care is a vital part of the equation, which is why that even though this isn't a self-help book, I still, I do have a call-out box for each of those six well-being building block chapters about self-care specifically as it relates to that building block. But in addition to your own self-care, there are ways for us to help lower the temperature for each other. And even though that's reflected in all of the six building blocks, I would look at the social climate building block as probably the main driver uh, to help keep the stress level down. Now, the social climate is how we feel on a team. And do we wake up feeling good about the team we're about to go work with and that company? Or do we feel like we don't want to get out of bed because I don't like working with these people? And there are three ways to shape a social climate so that it is a good social climate. One, create a sense of community. Do we know the people on our team outside of the workplace? Do we know their families, their pets, their hobbies? What do we know about them as individuals? Uh, the second ingredient in a good social climate is being positive. And so that's taking a cup half full approach or outlook on life. Uh, we all you know, benefit when there's positive energy around us. And when someone's negative all the time, it can really drag us down. You know, and that doesn't mean that we're just going to sweep under the rug bad things that happen to us because we all have bad days. But it does mean that we need to see things as a speed bump that we're going to get past and not a brick wall that we're in a dire position. The third ingredient for creating this good social climate is what I call rowing in the same direction. Our well-being feels better and our stress level is lower when we feel like the people around us are all working towards the same goal. So uh, I hope, Laura, the folks who are listening to this, at minimum, go back and think about how their teams are working together so that they can lower the stress level uh, amongst themselves. I love the way you describe that. And I think it is all about connection and having a strong sense of team cohesion um, or healthy climate uh, in, in the organization and the team. And I liked what you said about rowing together, because even if I'm having a lousy day or I have a curveball in my life, if I know I'm part of a team where the, the ship will keep moving forward, 
right? Yeah. I might yeah. not be at my best, but I'm part of that. I don't know. Yeah. I'm having the image of um, those dragon boats, right? The dragon boat racing, right? Yeah, They're racing. So funny. I can kind of slack that. You know, I'm not feeling totally up to it, but have yeah. a team. And then tomorrow I'll be back at it with my full self. <laughs> So Laura, that's so funny that you say that because I do give a lot of presentations and I actually have a, a slide of a dragon boat with a team in, in the boat. No way. It's actually a, <laughs> yes, it's actually a Hopkins team. <laughs> but uh, some, you'll have to come listen to a, a presentation at some time. And the, the other thing that I, I want to share about this um, social climate and, and working together is that uh, – it is true that when we put these three pieces together, that not only do we lower stress, but we actually help build resilience. Now, this buzzword resilience has really seen a lot of um, – it's become very popular in the wake of the pandemic, and it's being used all over. But we really need to break down what contributes to resilience. And a few of the things that contribute to resilience is knowing that you're not alone mm -hmm. and that your team is with you and that we don't choose the path of desperation, that we choose the path to know that the sun will rise tomorrow. And that's that positivity that I talk about is one of the ingredients in the social climate. Really, really well put. Uh, this so many really great quotes and, and really good points to, to pull out here. So. Um, as I wrap up this episode, I'm always curious how you, I can see all the books behind you, first of all. A lot of them are yeah. medical books, but I would bet there's a variety of, yeah. of eclectic books from different fields. Am I right? Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm an ongoing learner. I, I, I love reading. Yeah. And that, that actually shaped how I write. Okay. Those books so, behind me, they shape how I write. <laughs> so since we're on this topic of a healthier workforce and, and well-being, what do you listen to or read? Can you give us a recommendation of a book that really speaks to you or a podcast to share with our listeners? Sure. Uh, I always have a few books on my nightstand. And right now there are there – are, uh, I just finished Leading with Gratitude – Okay. by Adrian Godstick, Gostick, excuse me, and Chester Elton. And I'm currently reading Anxiety at Work, uh, which is also by Chester Elton and Adrian Gostick. Uh, so those, those are great books. Um, I'm very fortunate. Uh, the book Drive, um, D-R-I-V-E, by Daniel Pink is on my bookshelf, and he actually endorsed uh, my book, A Cure for the Common Company, so I'm pretty excited about that. Uh, Lots of books out there. Uh, I suggest that everybody reads because we, we don't finish our learning and uh, we become better leaders when we understand uh, all the possibilities that await us. That's for sure. So I ask all the guests this question, and it's so fun to hear the different answers uh, from people all over the world that I interview. So my question is, if you didn't need to sleep, you didn't biologically need to sleep, what would you do with that extra time? Rich. Mm, wow. <clears throat> I love adventures. Um, and uh, I, I've done a lot of camping and hiking and bike trips in my day. I don't do them as often now. Uh, so I'd like to do more of that. And I intend to do more of that. Uh, if I could play tennis at two in the morning, I'd love to play tennis at two in the morning. 
Uh, I'd love to take more road trips to see family members who don't live within an hour of our house, uh, you know, drive there at 6 p.m. and come back the next morning at, at 7 a.m. before my, my day starts for Hopkins. Awesome. I love the question, by the way. Awesome. Thank you for that. And if you could have one wish for a better world, what would it be? Wow. Uh, maybe respect, uh, respect each other, respect our planet, respect our time on this planet, uh, respect opinions, um, maybe just more respect all the way around. Okay. Well, thank you for that. And I certainly have a world of respect for the work you're doing on the oh, cure for you. the common company and, and taking all your knowledge and trying to reach as broad of an audience as possible so you can impact the human beings in a multitude of organizations. Yeah, Laura, most of us uh, have to work as an adult and it would be great if our workplace supports our health and well-being and doesn't take away from our health and well-being. I couldn't agree more. So thank you so much for sharing all this great information. And we will put the, the way to order the book as well as Dr. Richard Safir's website and all the resources he's mentioned in the show notes, as well as in the blog article that'll come along with this episode and my monthly e-newsletter. So thanks again, thank uh, Rich, you. for your time today. Thank you so much, Laura. Okay, and stay well. Thank you for tuning into this episode of Where Work Meets Life. If you enjoyed this content, please rate and review the podcast as that helps me get it out to more people. Visit my website at drlaura.live and sign up for my monthly e-newsletter full of tips and resources. Please engage with us on social media and check out the podcast summary for links to my psychology practices, Canada Career Counseling, Calgary Career Counseling, and Synthesis Psychology. Stay well.